If you're trying to stay focused on getting work done and eating throughout the day is something you think about, have to decide, and you're not sure what to do, and you just wish an option was available where the right meal with all of the specifications you want be available to you, easy to make, under two minutes, well, luckily for you, Factor is available where you have over 35 different options a week to choose from, including options like keto, calorie smart, vegan, and veggie. And you can enjoy over 55 nutrition-packed add-ons to help you make your weekly meal planning even more delicious. So what are you waiting for? You can get started today and have a feel-good week of meals ready to go. Factor is the perfect solution if you're looking up for something fast that's upscale option done very easily. It's flexible on your schedule where you can get as much or as little as you need by choosing 6 to 18 meals per week. Plus, you can pause or reschedule your deliveries anytime. No prep necessary. They're 100% ready to heat and eat. So there's no prepping, cooking, or cleanup necessary. Head to factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and use code sellingwithlove50 to get 50% off. That's code sellingwithlove50 at factormeals.com slash sellingwithlove50 and you'll get 50% off. Not bad. What is your role in your customers' lives, wherever they might be? And how do you make that better? Plug into the minds of the world's cutting edge innovators, visionaries, and thought leaders. Rewriting the rules of high performance at work. It's your time to make an impact. I am your host, Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Mind Valley podcast. Mind Valley is bringing you the most advanced education in the world. If you are a member of Mind Valley, know that you're going to get access to all of this for less than $2 a day. See, most schools like Harvard charge thousands of dollars for a college education, and we think this is rubbish. We know that in five years from now, you will be better equipped when you get to study from the likes of the incredible teachers that we bring on the Mind Valley platform with the curriculum design, the amazing storytelling, and the technology that really enables you to truly transform. Go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman to learn more on how to become a member of Mind Valley. Hi, everybody. Welcome back to Superhumans at Work. This is your host, Jason Mark Campbell. We're going to be talking about some really interesting stuff today, which is going to be around how do we develop ideas, products, what's happening within various industries that you can apply within your own work. And I'm going to bring to you a man who's worked across all these different industries and brought these concepts of, is it growth hacking? Is it product development? We're going to touch on a lot of these different things. And I want to give you a bit more of a background here on Thor Ernston. Now, Thor has worked in my God, he's worked in healthcare. He's worked in gaming. He's now doing a lot of ideas when it comes to consumer insights and scaling relationships. All of these different organizations are fantastic. And he's been a thought leader helping Fortune 100 brands with digital transformation, infusing a culture of experimentation, especially when they're legacy style organizations that have strifled or not been seeing themselves being able to innovate as much, he goes in and teaches them all these great techniques. He's spoken at Lean Conference, at Startup Next, Design Guru Summit, and the New York Product Conference. And he's here to share some amazing insights and some particularly really cool background stories of some of the games you might have found yourself playing and addicted to on Facebook as well. Now, before I bring on Thor, remember, if you enjoy Superhumans at work, you want to bring as many people to listen to this and get transformations such as how you do, make sure to hit that subscribe button and leave us a review because that always helps us being able to reach more people and continue bringing these amazing insights to you. And now, without further ado, we have Thor on the show. Thor, thank you so much for being here. Great to be here. Looking forward to it. 
I, first off, I love your name, Thor. I mean, a lot of people are probably going to be some Marvel superhero fans here. And looking at you, you've been this kind of god when it comes to helping scale product developments. And I wanted to kick it off with probably the one product you've touched that is most familiar with a lot of people called Farmville. Now, you've been a lead architect at Zynga and you've worked on all these different things when it comes to these video games. And I wanted to kind of kick it off there being that Farmville. This was the Facebook game that most of us have probably touched. And I wanted to know, like, as a lead architect, what was your role and what successes were you able to find when you develop something like this to reach so many people around the world? That's a great question, because one of the things that's interesting about a product like Farmville and the one I primarily worked on was Frontierville and Touch Cityville and others as well, is that the ideas we had going into it were not only not well-formed, they were totally wrong. So if we thought people were going to do something, we didn't know until we actually built it and tested it, until we actually put it out there and had people experiment with it on their own and figure out what they were going to do. And it sounds pretty abstract, but in reality... Imagine sitting in a conference room before you have a product like that and discussing the strategy to get people to buy virtual fertilizer. How are you going to make a virtual pink tractor sell for, and no joke, over a billion dollars? And like, it doesn't make any sense. How are you going to get people to put 40 hours a week of effort and hundreds of dollars in some cases into tending their virtual farm? It doesn't make any sense. So what we focused on instead are the things we knew, how to drive engagement, how to get people to care, how do you give people what they want? How do you effectively do good product management to understand that what people actually want isn't the game itself. It's the social connection behind it. It's the relationships you have. And we're giving you an excuse to reach out to your grandmother, to your friend, to your whoever, doesn't really matter. And all of the games, and even to this day, that are these quote-unquote casual games, it's not really about the experience itself. It's about the meta context of social connection, of human relationships, of things that we do know matter. So how do you create a community through games? How do you create a community through these products? And knowing that we had no idea how to really do that. Well, you touched on something interesting here because I feel most people might want to be looking to launch a product and it seems like it's going to be in the boardroom that there's a bunch of people that get together and saying we're going to do this and especially if you're in a larger organization maybe some of the more senior management that people don't question will they'll say yes this is the way we're going to do it because i know best i've been in this for a long time and then what do you typically see when people kind of make those shots in the dark to try to create something that with a lot of assumptions i feel like this would be the recipe for a lot of disaster products so in your experience what have you seen and what's kind of the solution to make sure that you do find yourself creating something even when you had no idea what to expect and the user behavior in the process that's a great point because the vast majority of decisions are made that way they're made by a quote-unquote expert that comes to the table with all the answers and generally, it's because they'll say something like, we've been operating profitably for 24 consecutive quarters. Why challenge that? Or they'll say things like, we've been around for 165 years. We're not going to change, blah, blah, blah. And this is every financial services company. This is every insurance company. This is every healthcare company in America, at least. Now you have a global audience, so it's a little bit different there. But when you look at other countries... They actually, the problem is exacerbated by cultural elements that punish people for speaking up. So 
let's just take my comments as applying to America because the other stuff gets pretty nuanced pretty quickly. So if you approach it from the standpoint of legacy and saying, well, if you know how to do it, then great, you do your way, that's fine. Problem comes up when there's change, when there's change in the market, when there's change, obviously now with COVID, like now the conversation is no longer a conversation. Like it's a given. Shit is different today from how it was a year ago. Whereas before people were like concerned, but now it's a crisis. Companies that have been around for 200 years are going out of business. The rest doesn't matter. Like any data you're relying on from a year ago is irrelevant today. So what matters instead is having the right culture internally, which is super hard and takes a long time. But really what it comes down to is having a culture of learning, having an organization that embraces uncertainty, that can actually move forward in an agile way and understand what people actually want. What is your role in your customers' lives, wherever they might be, and how do you make that better? How do you compete? Because what's been happening is these large organizations, as well as startups actually, are all figuring out, well, if we're doing this, let's say it is providing a certain service, you're serving people coffee or biscuits or a mortgage, it doesn't matter. And all of a sudden they want it on an app. And if I want to get my mortgage on an app versus I want to get my cup of coffee on an app, it's the same challenge. The difference is one is a 200,000 person global organization and the other one's a two person coffee shop. But what they're both leaving out of the equation is the customer. Customer wants something. How do you give that to them in a better way? And that's the second part. First part is learning. Second part is focusing on the customer and really understanding what the customer wants. And by the way, it's not even just a customer. It's a stakeholder. It's a person that's somewhere in the flow of what you're doing. They all have different needs. We're all human. And failing to understand that is what I see companies do left and right. I love that you use these examples of like turning this existing process into an app. And I feel like we've seen so many of these examples of companies that have a really bad experience. And then they're like, hey, let's design a website or an app that makes me relive this horrible experience in an accelerated way, except now I can go to the app store and tell you how horrible it is. <laughs> and I've seen so many of these big companies launch these apps saying like, yes, look, we are modern. We've launched an app and now people can go through the same bad experience. And so I feel like these are the ones that are being like slapped around a little more. And what I love from what you've done, and I was reading your profile is you worked in a lot of different industries. And it seems like it's the types of industries that been around for a long time, haven't had that kind of disruption, like healthcare example. And when you talk about these kind of digitization that you've helped a lot of cultures do, I'm seeing a lot of newcomers come. And I'll use an example that comes front of mind is like Safety Wing being like a modern type of insurance provider versus the classical model of insurance where you have to get through an agent. There's tons of packages and it seems complicated, a bunch of different prices. And then you have another one that comes in and completely redesign the experience, which seems to be taking a lot of market share. Now you get brought in and you seem to be one of these people that gets brought in to disrupt this kind of legacy type of thinking that doesn't change or embrace this innovation. And you did mention how hard it is. So this is where I want to take it, Thor. Why is it so hard? And what happens when you get thrown in to disrupt that culture? The answer is the same as the solution, which is that it's all about people. So the reason it's hard, if you look at an organization and let's say you have 20 people working in a team, 
it's pretty easy for you to get every all 20 people together and discuss what you're trying to do and get everybody's commitment to working towards that goal. But let's say you have 200. All of a sudden, you now lose the ability to get a perfect alignment with all 200. It's not possible. So you start managing structures and organizations. Now let's say you have 2,000, 20,000, 200,000. The problem just goes up by levels of magnitude. So what you have to do is you have to understand that people are going to act in their own self-interest at work. And if the quote-unquote organization needs something, it's irrelevant to Jason and Thor, who are line-level employees, shipping code or designing something or in customer service or in working at the retail counter. Like what is a retail employee at, you name it, any retail company in the world right now, care that the organization is going out of business? Like, do you don't think they know there's a problem? Of course they know. You don't think even they have the answer? Of course they have the answer. It's like they buy their own stuff on Amazon because they know it'll just be there. Now, the problem actually is incentives because they have no incentive to fix anything. They have no incentive to speak up. They have no reason to actually do anything different. And as a matter of fact, the problem is actually worse. They have a disincentive. If they speak up, they're likely to get fired. They're likely to get reprimanded because they're causing problems somewhere. Because it's not their problem. It's their problem, their manager's problem, their manager's manager's problem, etc. So when I come in and talk to these teams, it's almost always the CEO and their team level. So they all get it. Every single person understands it. I have done a lot of executive briefings and conversations with some of the world's biggest companies. And the CEO almost always leads with something to the effect of, if we don't change, we die. If we don't adapt, we die. If we don't embrace digital, we die. If we don't embrace whatever, they get it. Then it comes to their team. They get it. They're super smart, very highly paid, very competent people. Like, it's very rare I meet a stupid person at that level in corporate world. Like, they're actually great. And by the way, as a quick side note, a lot of startup people and, like, people that are, might be in the community of sort of more artistic, let's just call it artistic entrepreneurs, many of which are close friends, they talk very negatively about corporate life. But then if you flip it around and say, would you like to make a million dollars a year and not have to work that hard? Everybody's answer is like, oh, fuck yeah. So there's a give and take on both sides. And what you have in that world is people that don't want to risk that. So if you're the CMO of a large company, you're making even more than a million bucks a year. And like, are you really going to put your neck on the line to maybe get fired? Like, No, you're not. You have no reason to change it. And that's the crazy thing is that we see these environments that are ripe for disruption and everybody understands the problem. And yet you can't get the organization to move. And it really comes down to the lessons that we try to teach are how do you empower everybody in the organization to embrace the mindset of that they're trying to learn about a problem and solve it. And make very calculated risks, really just small experiments that compound over time into pretty big learnings. And if you do it in the right way, culturally, it actually can change the organization. There's story after story in 
publications like HPR and others about usually put buzzwords around it, but customer centricity and digital transformation and all this stuff really just comes down to how do you solve the customer's problem better? And that's not rocket science. And that's been around for hundreds of years. As I was going through, I know you have these three strong principles here about building these successful products. And you've already touched on some of these. You talked about how the decision makers need to be closer to users. The bigger the organization, the further they are. When you mention users, I'm assuming we're talking here clients. And so could you tell us a bit of a story of what has happened when you've went in or you've worked on your own project and you were able to make a decision when you were closer to users? You've used the example at the beginning of selling a pink tractor to Farmville. Well, what would be something in a different industry where you've seen, wow, we didn't expect this and it turned into something so good? And most people that listen to this might be realizing, wow, sometimes I'm going so ignorant that I'm not so close to the user to discover that. So I'd love to hear a story from your work. Yeah, I can talk about one specific example. I can't name the company, but it's a really fantastic one, which is my company, Feedback Loop. We support over half the Fortune 100 in doing customer development, exploratory research, and product research. And we've seen amazing things that they've done. And there was one particular case where we're trying to figure out how to drive alerts that are life-saving alerts to doctors and patients. When you have things like a patient goes to see multiple doctors, one doctor prescribes this medicine, another doctor prescribes some other medicine, they don't know about each other. Turns out there are a handful of companies in the loop that do know. So there's called PBMs, which are the pharmacy component of your insurance. They're the actual insurance companies that may know, and a couple others. And obviously the pharmacy if they're honoring both. So Somewhere in the back end of this system, there might be an alert triggered saying there's a life-threatening problem. If the patient takes both medicines, they will die. And this is a very real scenario that not only could, but does happen. So how do you prevent that? So product managers had a bunch of ideas. And one of them, the most obvious one, is like put up an alert on the doctor's system when they're entering the order. And what they were finding, that's what they did. And what they were finding is that those alerts were getting ignored. So they're trying to figure out why and what the people wanted, what the doctors wanted, what the nurses wanted, and what the patients wanted. And any person born after, say, like 1970, would be like, oh, make it digital, do a notification, which makes sense. But then we looked at what's actually going on in the space of these notifications. So again, focusing on the customer. In this case, the customer is the doctor, the nurse, and the patient. So what do they want? Like the patient getting an alert, they have no idea what's going on. They just trust what the doctor says. Nurse is executing certain workflow. Doctor is not even entering the order into the system, into the MR. So whatever alert pops up on the screen, the actual workflow associated with it is taking a screenshot of it, finding that photo stored on your computer somewhere or finding that graphic image on your computer, printing it out, annotating it and leaving it on the doctor's desk. So one of the things that we kept getting in terms of preferred feedback was facts. And we couldn't understand why. And we were like, this has to be like a bug or an error or something's wrong in this. Why would 60% of people be asking for a fax for a life-threatening notification? It seems crazy. But in reality, it actually saves a step in the workflow. Because now you take that fax from the fax machine and you put it on the doctor's desk and it has all the information needed to make a decision. And then the doctor can render a decision as opposed to having to save a screenshot somewhere, 
find that file, print it, and hope you got the right one. So there's a lot of counterintuitive things that come up as soon as you start actually paying attention to your users and your customers. And that's one example out of thousands. I find this is a, such a good example, and I hope I don't get in trouble for saying this, but it reminds me of, you remember that when there was like Google Plus, that social media platform by Google? It doesn't exist anymore. And I remember I went into it, and as someone that's very much liking to play with a lot of complex like online systems, I was like, wow, look at all the features they put in this. Look at how it's got all those little things that would be really nice. And then guess what? Nobody used it. Nobody understand it. It was complicated. And it seems like one of those cases where a bunch of people are in Silicon Valley, assuming everybody thinks like them, they build the most robust feature filled social media with nobody using it and not listening to the fact that people just wanted Instagram. They just want to post a picture and scroll and put hashtags like that seems to me like another example when you're so into your bunker of trying to create something that you are thinking you are the user, which I think is kind of arrogant. Like it's not even going close to the people that you say you're there to solve their problems. You're trying to create something for the sake of your creation. And so I love this principle of getting closer to the users. So here's an example where I said like they've rolled out a whole social media platform only to realize that nobody used it. So obviously that's a big investment. You talk about taking more shots on goal. Like how do you go ahead and create these products or get involved in this innovation mindset, being close to the user to discover the fact solution and your example had to roll out a couple of things that were more complex. So do you break it down into smaller risks? Like how do you go out and make a step in investment knowing that it could fail, but you want to kind of discover this new idea at the same time? So where do you find the balance? Yeah, it's a great question. And just to clarify with the facts thing, it's not that that is the actual solution. It's just that that's a part of it. There's a feature certain people want, and it literally saves lives. And think of the mindset of the Silicon Valley executive where the feedback they're getting is that their clients want facts. And I think everybody listening here can imagine the feedback when they're told their customers want to be faxed the information. I got to throw in a quick like notice here, Thor, is my dad has a small swimming pool business. And I remember when I went there, I was like, I was trying to push for them to have all of these text message notifications, CRM, and getting these things by email. And this man being in his 60s, which is my father, was like, I'd love to be able to print out every lead onto a paper and put on my desk. And so it makes me think of this fact situation. And sometimes you just have these habits. And if those habits are being followed with the right process, even if it's archaic, if it works, that's the one that needs to work. But you tell this to someone like me or I'm imagining somebody in Silicon Valley, we'd lose it. <laughs> exactly. And the answer, by the way, is not telling your dad he's wrong. He's happily running a successful business. Like, he doesn't give a shit. If you tell him he's wrong, you're great. You go do that somewhere else. So really, again, coming back down to the point of that they're all people. So when you talk about empowering decision-making in the organization and really figuring out how do you optimize for experimentation and shots on goal, what it comes down to is empowering the people that are closest to the problem to do that. If it has to go through a bureaucratic process and you have to like, get permission at every step, nothing is going to happen because then only the big ideas will get a chance. And by the way, not even just big ideas, big ideas that have been so sanitized and scrubbed of anything possibly dangerous by all the people and consultants and lawyers and all the people whose job is to say no. They're going to make sure there is nothing that can hurt them individually. No risk anywhere. It is their job to make sure of that. So 
if you're looking at it from an organizational standpoint, how do you make these little bets? How do you create opportunities for experimentation? So some good examples are, and this is a classic one where Ritz-Carlton has a budget of, I think it's $2,000, where any employee can make a customer's life better for $2,000, can create a moment of delight, and they don't have to go to their manager and ask. So if you are there and you're like, oh, I'd really love it if I had a whatever, it doesn't matter. We have roses for my wife. An employee can just go make that happen for you immediately. This could be a comment you make in the lobby, and then minutes later, they show up with that. Your life is now materially, like that experience changed potentially your life. And you are now a loyal advocate for that brand for the rest of your life because they have done something for you that mattered. Now, if that person had to file a requisition form and petition whoever for something, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Now, imagine the downside. They spent $30 on something and it didn't work. And the person said, oh, that was, oh, it was just a comment. I don't really, I don't even have a wife. Ha, ha, ha. All right. That person spent $30. So if on the one hand, you have $30 lost and the other, a lifetime of loyalty, there's no comparison between the two. And that's really what we're dealing with. We're dealing with a situation where organizations sort of suppress all of these kinds of things. And if you instead embrace it, and cultivate it, and you have a situation where you try to get everybody, especially the people that are closest to the problem, whether it's in a digital company or some other setting, doesn't really matter. They're the ones that are most knowledgeable of how to solve it. And it's not gonna be done by committee, it's not gonna be done by some lengthy process, it just has to be done. So there's another one which is a bias to action. And like, just do something, doesn't matter what. If you don't do anything and let it pass, you lost the opportunity do something and it's wrong, that needs to be okay. And that's the second thing here, is that it's not just experiment a bunch because you have people going all over the place doing all kinds of random things. You have to direct them. You have to make sure that what they're doing won't get them in trouble. But more importantly, that is done towards the right goal. So if it's to make the customer happy, great, super simple. And a lot of organizations are a little bit more complicated than that, where you have to have some sort of aspirational vision, some sort of North Star, some sort of whatever, doesn't really matter what, something everybody in the organization understands, where what you want to do is make sure that every employee understands that if they do something that's aligned with that, it's a good thing for the organization and will be a good thing for them. I love that. So just in a quick recap, before I go to the final point, which I think is going to be the most relevant here for the conversation, we talked about how when you design products, it's very hard for you to know all the facts. Most of the decisions we make are based on assumption. And so when you look at the users or the employees that are the closest to the clients and users, they're able to make decisions, get the feedback, and you need to cut all of that bureaucratic process so that you can actually get an unsanitized information and see where there are gold nuggets of innovation that can happen, whether it's your magical fax machine or your pink tractor that drives a ton of revenue you, these are little risks you can take. And you speak secondly about taking more shots on gold. When you actually empower those frontline workers and those people close to the users to take those risks, build that culture that rewards it, doesn't block it. This is the recipe that can drive these types of innovation. Which brings me to the last point that you speak about. And I think it's so relevant here because I listen to this and executives, they're smart people. They want these kinds of things. And 
for people listening to Superhumans at Work, you might be somebody within an organization that is very motivated to drive innovation. And it seems like you have these incentives around the executives that actually, like the CEO, wants to see more of these innovations. They want to empower the employees. I mean, employee engagement is one of the biggest metrics that the CHRO wants to drive. And so you have these people that are sitting maybe in non-executive positions that also want to see these things. They're very motivated, yet the culture or the existing legacy is not living what they're trying to create. Like, it's like this gap, which how do you keep these people motivated? How do you start making that shift when you know the executives kind of want it? And then the people that are in the front that are with the users seem to also want it. There seems to be something being lost in the middle. So what can we do? And is there powerful actions we could take from listening to this? That observation is spot on in every large organization deals with it, where the executives get it, the people that see it every day get it, but in between you have this layer of quote-unquote middle management. And that's where everything sort of gets weird. And it gets weird because, again, individually, the actions make sense. Somebody's trying to do something for their own best interest. They're trying to secure a budget for their group so they don't have to fire somebody. They're trying to help grow whatever they're doing. It's just some everybody's good intent. Now, what that ends up creating is a situation where now everybody has to be political and everybody has to play certain games. And the first thing to get lost is the actual customer, the end user. The first thing to do is to really put them in the center of all the decision making. And that means that if you're focusing on what the customer wants, and that's the lens through which you analyze the organizational processes, a lot of things get clearer. Does this manager really need more budget or do they need to be moved to a different job where they can have a bigger budget running a different team? And that's not a simple thing to facilitate, but that's really the question. And one of the most helpful tools I've seen for this, and it's a little bit controversial, but it makes sense conceptually, is a certain framework that was put in place at Netflix and other companies where they were looking at the job you're doing today and the job you're going to be doing in six months. And they'll look at that gap. And if you don't have a skill set, you need to be doing the job you're going to be doing in six months. And when you're growing like crazy, by the way, a job is going to be totally different from your job today. They would say, All right, so what's the change that's needed? Is it you need to get additional training to get to the point where you can do the job? Is it that that's not the right job for you and you need to find another job within the company? Or is it maybe you shouldn't be here? And that last thing is actually the hardest for all these companies to do for many, many reasons. And sadly, that's really what it comes down to is like a lot of people are in jobs they shouldn't be in. And if there's any entrepreneurs that are listening or aspirational entrepreneurs, like that really is the point here is like you're spending your most valuable resource, which is your time, working on something that you're probably unhappy doing, that your organization might be unhappy with you doing. And like, yeah, you might be doing a good job of the thing, but like, it's not good for anybody involved. Like, why keep doing it? Why not do the thing you actually want to do and step up, put yourself out there and take these lessons that I'm talking about, even though the conversation here is all about organizations, really it's about individuals. How do you have a learner's mindset. How do you do an experiment of some sort, take a shot on goal, you say you wanna do X, great. What is something you can do in the next three days that either shows that you can or can't do some aspect of it? It doesn't matter what it is. Create a hypothesis, 
around it. You want to go live on Mars? Great. What's needed to do that? First, you need all these things. So how do you start putting together some process for yourself where you can start learning, start experimenting, and moving in that direction? That's one of the beauties of this model is that it applies not just to individuals, but also Fortune 100 businesses. And it applies perfectly in both cases. And it's super simple. And I can't tell you how many times I've seen this. I can't tell you how many entrepreneurs I've talked to, how many investors I've talked to, how many executives I've talked to. And it always comes down to, well, I'm just trying to do this. What should I do next? And they have the answer already. They know what they should do next. What they're asking for is like permission. They're asking for is like a blessing of some sort. So yes, you should definitely do this because it makes sense. Like, no, just do it. Instead of asking for it, just do it. And then you can have a conversation about, well, how did it go? Because in most cases, the downside is so limited. It's the $30 on a bouquet of flowers that truly doesn't matter versus a potential opportunity and a moment for learning and delighting a customer in that particular case that really does matter. Thor, I really like this example that you used here, as well as the fact that you talked about these hard decisions that you have to meet in leadership whenever the organization is growing and transforming. And I want to share a personal story because especially in the concept of personal growth, this is something we all have to embrace a lot more, is myself. I was doing a lot of tasks as an employee of Mindvalley, and as Mindvalley was growing, they were looking for some different types of people for the new stage of the organization. And there was kind of this uncomfort, a small period where I found myself doing a lot of these tasks that I was just doing for the sake of doing that were kind of legacy tasks that actually were not the priorities for the company anymore. And there was almost like that, if this would have dragged on, it could have actually made me become a unengaged employee within the organization. But we actually went forward and had a conversation to realize what is it that I bring the most value to the company, which is why I actually left being an employee of Mindvalley, became someone that can be only here as a host, as an author, where I get to do the things I absolutely love and provide massive value to the company. And I share this example because a lot of times, as someone who's a manager, you feel like you don't want to go and make a change to somebody else's life when the frustrations that you have with that person are probably very similar to the frustration that person has as well. And not having those crucial conversations that really get the clarity and aligning everybody is actually something that can liberate the person to focus on their genius. And so everybody ends up winning in some way, even if it's a painful decision such as a layoff, there's often a golden nugget the person can find through that to refine their skills, get themselves aligned to a better organization with a vision that aligns better with them and also can take it as a growth experience too. I really love that mention that you did and I wanted to share how for me, it's just allowed me to focus more on things like my book, my brand, and do these amazing podcasts and host things with Mindvalley, which is the things that I deeply enjoy and makes it a win for the company as well. So Thor, thank you so much for coming here and sharing these amazing things. And what I wanna do is just do a quick recap because these three fundamental things that you spoke about, I think are so necessary. So if you're trying to drive innovation, you're trying to make the organization be able to develop better products, it's not done in the boardroom where everybody just tries to do things as they were before. This is the year where everything changes particularly. So what are things that can be done? Taking more shots on goal. This is the concept of empowering people to make small decisions, small information that can be trickled from the people who are closest to the user and empower them to make decisions. Those people are your frontline workers that speak with the everyday people and it doesn't get lost in translation in the larger and larger organizations. The executive team wants to drive more innovation. The end users that are change makers that are motivated also want to be able to do the best to serve the customer. So how do you make sure that that gets to happen better? It's the culture that needs to evolve. 
involve. That culture can come from the top that want to drive it, but the change makers also want to be able to be out there and know that it is safe for them to go and take risks. So build that within your culture. If you're leading a team, have these conversations with your executive team, with your employees. It's this thing that everybody wants, but everyone just needs to have a little more courage to go forward and make it happen. And what you'll see is your organization will be able to pivot, evolve, adapt, learn, implement these things that you're seeing at the front line, which makes you a cutting edge organization and left behind and being sideswiped because you didn't take the time to listen. And then you end up with a product that's not even on the shelves anymore because you didn't take the time to listen. Everybody have a look at Thor Erdston. He has been developing a platform right now called Strata, which is allowing you to scale relationships. And I wanted to throw it at you here. Just tell us a bit more about what Strata is all about and how people can learn more. A lot of the stuff I'm talking about here applies directly because what we're doing is helping you get more out of your email because people's relationships are often limited to digital contact, whether it's your even your friends, you email, you text, you make some message on WhatsApp. But what we're doing is helping create an intelligence layer around all of those things so that you can surface your friend who had a child a year ago today. You should send them a message saying happy birthday to your child. Be more thoughtful, be more engaged, and the information is already in your inbox. So what we're doing at Strata is helping you connect and reconnect with people that you should. And you can learn more at strata.cc or just email me at thor at strata.cc, and I'm happy to talk more about these things here if any of it's interesting. Or obviously, if you're interested in connecting better with your network and your professional network with your peers and do the things that we all do as humans, that's what we're here for. Thor, thank you so much for your time. Everybody listening, we'll put the links in the show notes so you can go and discover a bit more about Strata and how you can use this in your life. And of course, if you've enjoyed this episode, be sure to send a review. If you're especially you're on Apple Podcasts, go into the shows, you'll be able to leave us a review and leave a comment about this specific episode. What did you like and what are you looking to apply within your workplace? Obviously, subscribe to this podcast and share it with friends and family. If you enjoy this and want to share it with more people, they'll be able to turn themselves into superhumans in the process. This has been your host, Jason Mark Campbell. Thank you so much for tuning in and until next time. Once again, everybody, thanks for tuning in to Superhumans at Work. I'm very grateful for all of you who tune in on a regular basis, listening to these amazing interviews with these guests that I get to find. Now, if you're subscribed to the show, definitely leave us a review if you can and share it with friends so that we can spread the message and get more people to be able to learn of these fantastic ideas that they can bring in their everyday life. And these episodes, of course, are brought to you by Mindvalley. When you go to mindvalley.com forward slash superhuman, you get to discover the transformational education that we get to deliver where we bring the best technology, the best teachers, and ensure that it teaches you what leads to a truly incredible life. Thanks again for tuning in and watching the show. And until next time, stay superhuman. My name is Jason Campbell, and this is Superhumans at Work, a Valley podcast. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.